Hey, Banter Podcast listeners, this is Mike Luciano, and I'm here with Ben Cohen. And this is an unusual episode for us because about two hours after we wrapped up recording the podcast for this week, the news uh, that we'd all been fearing for some time now broke. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, died at the age of 87. And obviously, that is earth-shattering news with major, major implications for the direction of the Supreme Court and the direction of the country, really. So Ben and I are here doing a second take to talk about this. And after we do, we will transition to this the discussion that we had when we were blissfully unaware that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was about to pass away. We hope you'll stick around for that discussion. Uh, from a simpler and less gloomy time. But for now, we need to slog through this. Ben, I just wanted to start by asking, because this is a monumental event. You know, this is one of those things like, you know, people remember where they were when they heard it, just just because of the gravity of the situation. The Supreme Court had a 5-4 conservative majority. It's now a 5-3 conservative majority on the verge of possibly a 6-3 majority. Uh, I'm just curious, Ben, how did you hear about Ginsburg's passing? Where were you? Just like, what was your immediate knee-jerk reaction? Oh, well, I, w- I was driving in D.C., and uh, um, a friend of mine uh, in D- from D.C. Uh, texted me and said, um, with, with, with the NPR article about Ginsburg's death. And uh, first of all, I thought it was an Onion article, because I just thought, it can't be, you know, it can't be like, this can't be happening right now you know, 44 days out from the election. Like, there's just no way. Uh, and then it dawned on me that, in fact, yes, this is what happened. And uh, uh, this was really, 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 really bad. It, to, to be honest with you, because of after the shock of Trump's election in 2016, to, my capacity to deal with, like, terrible, shocking news has sort of grown uh, <laughs> in, like, tenfold, you know? So I didn't take it, you know... Th- I was reasonably calm. Um, I, I de- definitely had a bit of a freak out for the first like half an hour. You know, I think and we'll get into this later, but I think that the Democrats have got um, some. There are some some big advantages um, if the Republicans try and ram someone through. But you know, look, it's like it's kind of sad. You know, like a, she was an incredible, incredible woman, and you know, the fact is is that right now everyone should be kind of celebrating her life and just talking about her life. But now we're going to be locked into a deadly battle with the Republicans in the fight to who su- succeeds her. So yeah, like you know, not a great time. Not at all. I like you. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Obviously, it's not a shock because she's had health problems, but like this close, you know, we, I thought she was going to hang on, you know, my wife and I were preparing an anniversary dinner of sorts. We were celebrating four years since we first met and, you know, we had these juicy steaks and a really nice bottle of wine uh, ready to have dinner outside on our deck. And then I get the notification on my phone and my first instinct was just to not believe it because I so did not want to believe it. But of course, this being 2020, it was true. So we end up eating outside and we're sitting across from one another, not talking, just sulking and picking at our meals. And at one point, my wife, who is not a big drinker, she looks at me and she says, Let's get fucked up. <laughs> and I said, you got it. I said, you got it. 
So, you know, I'm here today with a, a wine and vodka induced hangover, and I will do my best to share my coherent, if not uh, fuzzy thoughts on this. And one other thing I'll say, if you listen to the second part of this podcast, the one we recorded before news broke that RBG had died, it was one of those very rare times, Ben, where we ended the podcast on a high note. And it never happens, so man. That never happens. It, it never almost happens. Yes. So it's almost like 2020. It's almost like 2020 and the politics gods were punishing us for it. Like, oh, you think you're going to find solace in something? Well, here, enjoy yet another heaping helping of sadness. So we're going to talk about the political implications of this, but I just wanted to just give a quick little recap of RBG's career. She was born in Brooklyn. She got her bachelor's from Cornell. She went to Harvard Law School, where she was just one of nine women in a class of about 500 uh, before she transferred to Columbia Law School. She was the first woman to be on two major law reviews, uh, Harvard and Columbia. At Columbia, she tied for first in her class. And I just want to read this well-sourced Wikipedia excerpt from her page because she was a trailblazer. And when she got her law degree in 1959, the legal world was very much a, a boys club. Uh, it says here, in the fall of 1956, Ginsburg enrolled at Harvard Law School, where she was one of only nine women in a class of about 500, just said that. The dean of Harvard Law reportedly invited all the female law students, all nine of them, to dinner at his family home and asked the female law students, including Ginsburg, quote, why are you at Harvard Law School taking the place of a man? That's the kind of shit women had to deal with back then. Just that kind of thing, that kind of discrimination, you know, it still goes on today, but just the the brazenness with which it happened in those days is just wild. And in 1963, she became a professor at Rutgers Law School. Uh, get this, at the time, she was uh, one of fewer than 20 female law professors in the entire United States. Uh, she also worked for ACLU, the ACLU in the 1970s before becoming uh, Jimmy Carter's nominee to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia in 1980, where she served uh, until 1993, when, of course, she was nominated by Bill Clinton to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, again, remarkable lady. I mean, truly, truly a remarkable person. The more you read about her, the more impressed, you, you know, you just, you, you can't help but be just awed by like what, what she did and what she accomplished. But yeah, I mean, wow. It's, it's a big deal. It's really, you know, we're in, uh, it couldn't really get much worse in many ways, right? You know, with, uh, this is just what we didn't need. I think that, uh, you know, it, it's almost certain that tr the Trump and McConnell were going to do their best to ram through a nominee, despite the fact that uh, Mitch McConnell himself um, said in in 2016 when Obama uh, nominated Merrick Garland to to succeed um, succeed uh, Antonin Scalia, that McConnell said not not during an election year, but it's too close to an election night, and we that, that wouldn't be the right thing to do. So they literally created this rule out of thin air. Right, that that's that's not constitutional. I, I don't know where they where he got that idea from, but anyway, that's McConnell's own rule on this. Uh, and then, of course, now uh, we're in an election year, but there's a Republican president. That's totally fine. Apparently, like McConnell said, almost immediately we're going to hold a vote on the Senate floor, whoever Trump uh, nominates. So you know, and they have the votes. You know, I think potentially they could have the votes. It, the Senate is split fifty-three forty-seven. Uh, in favour of the Republicans, so they need four 
Republicans to defect. It's unclear whether they can get four Republicans to defect. They could probably could maybe get three. Would be would would be my guess. They could get um, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, uh, and possibly um, Chuck Grassley. Maybe Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney is is possible. Uh, I I don't know. But that would be four. But I think it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to get to four. And you know, there is lot. There are lots of issues. Senate Republicans in tight races. They have, um, you know, if they go against, they kind of damned if they do, and they damned if they don't. So if they, if they don't, uh, if they vote to to push the nominee through, um, it will cost them with the dem- with the independ- independents and Democrats. And if they do the opposite, if they block the vote, um, that would cost them dearly as well. That would p- irritate their base. So they're in a very very tricky position, um, and it's not clear which which way they're going to go. And you can't rely on Republicans. You know that's the thing. You can't rely on any of these any of these senators to act um, ethically. There's right. not a single there's not a single person in the Republic. I mean Mitt Romney, amazingly Mitt Romney is 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 probably the only Republican uh, in office um, in actual in a position of power who's actually shown some some fortitude, shown some bravery in in opposing Trump. It's not really McConnell's rule. It's more like McConnell's caprice. It's just something he pulled out of his arse, yeah. as they say where you're from. But yep. here's here's what I think is going to happen. I, I think the Republicans get this done. Trump is almost certainly going to nominate Amy Coney Barrett. She's on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. She was on the shortlist last time around. The Senate Judiciary Committee, I predict, will just give her the express wash. The Democrats will do feudal, obstructive performance art during the hearings. The Judiciary Committee will vote to send her nomination to the full Senate, and I think she will be confirmed, I think quite possibly in a lame duck session after the election. That's the thing. McConnell might want this to be an election day issue because he might think, and I don't know if he thinks this, but he might think that this will help endanger GOP senators because maybe he thinks a SCOTUS vacancy will turn out the Republican vote. We will see. But McConnell, yeah, of course he reversed himself. That rule he forgot when Scalia died in February, oh, we can't have it during an election year. Well, now it's September and now magically that that quote unquote rule, which isn't a rule, is gone. So I, I, I almost guarantee you it will be Barrett. Right now, she's 48 years old, which means if she lived as long as Ginsburg and doesn't retire, Okay, she's going to be on the court for 39 years. So, and I see a lot of liberals on Twitter trying to make the case that you know this this seat will go unfilled until at least after the inauguration. They're touting this this law in Arizona. If Mark Kelly, a Democrat, defeats the incumbent Republican Martha McSally in the U.S. Senate race there in Arizona, because it's technically a special election, I guess under Arizona state law, Kelly would be eligible to take office in November. Maybe that's true. But there is no way in hell Mitch McConnell is going to agree to seat him before there is a confirmation vote. The only hope we have of this vacancy going unfulfilled before January 20th is, like you said, is if four Republicans defect. They have a 53 to 47 majority. They can afford to lose three votes on any nomination. That would be a 50-50 split. But if there's a tie in the Senate, Mike Pence would cast the deciding vote as vice president. So you'd need four defectors, possibly Murkowski, who just hours before it was announced that, that Ginsburg died, she said that she would not vote to confirm 
a nominee before the inauguration in what was then just a hypothetical scenario. Take me with so, a pinch of salt, man. You- right, exactly. Because in the past, you've also had Susan Collins, Chuck Grassley, and Lindsey Graham. They're all on the record saying that they wouldn't allow a Republican to fill a SCOTUS seat in an election year. And of course, Lindsey Graham came out yesterday and said, fill it, fill it as soon as possible. Because of course he did. So Graham is out. Susan Collins, I mean, today she came out and said that they shouldn't fill the seat. But she didn't say she would vote against a nominee if it were put in front of her. So the only way Susan Collins votes no is if Republicans already have the votes to confirm. I can envision a scenario where she votes no just as theater and to show her constituents who, uh, you know, are going to decide whether to reelect her this year. This is assuming the vote is held before the election. And that's a big assumption. But if it comes down to one vote, Susan Collins is voting yes. And I will make you this promise, Ben. If Trump's nominee gets shot down by a single vote because Susan Collins voted no, I will never say another bad thing about Susan Collins ever again. Not only that, I will print out a transcript of this segment of the podcast and I will eat it on video and (laughs) post it online. I make you that promise. I will do it. So, you know, in other words, in other words, it's not going to happen. I I can't see Susan Collins doing the right thing. You know, I, I, I just, I can't see it. Like she's, when has she done the right thing before? Never. Um, never, exactly. So I think it's likely to go through. I think they're likely to be able to ram it through. Although I do think that the Democrats have, like I, I see that one of the things that really calmed me down was looking at it from a strategic point of view about why this politically benefits the Democrats in a number of ways. I wrote a piece about this. Um, actually, I put it out today for Banter members uh, about why this is actually, uh, you know, not good for the Republicans at all. This is not good for Republicans and not good for Trump. And it means that they could lose the, uh, I, they can lose the presidency and they can lose the Senate and they can lose the Supreme Court. And it could be, this could be looked at as one of Well, the, they can't lose the court. Well, uh, let me, let me explain. So, so I, th- I think this could be one of the, you know, this could be for them crossing the Rubicon. The, the, it, it could be, it, this could be the step it just too, it's too far, right? They've gone too far now. They've gone back on this arbitrary rule that McConnell like pulled out of his ass. But fine, if you, if you're going to make the rule, at least live by your own rule. Okay. So it's, he's literally pissing in the Democrats face by doing this. Right. So I think he's setting himself up for uh, a severe political blowback in the future. And so I think that this benefits the Democrats in a number of ways. The first is, is um, if you just look at how much money the Democrats have raised over the past 24 hours. I actually read recently, okay, ActBlue, which is the, the fundraising arm of the Democratic Party, they, they've taken $56 million in since Ginbird's death was announced. $56 million in a day. The um, get Mitch, uh, get Mitch or die trying, which is the guys from uh, Crooked Media set this up, and uh, they raised. I think um, they had around five million uh, at one point, uh, and now they have over seventeen. They had five million before Ginsburg died, and now they have over seventeen million. That's twelve million dollars in a day to flip vulnerable Senate seats, right? This is going to activate the Democrats like you would not believe, right? This is this is going to, I think, you know, there are, um, you know, there are vulnerable, uh, there are Senate races, uh, you know, uh, Colorado, Maine, North Carolina, Montana, Iowa, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Alaska, South Carolina, Texas, Kansas. These, these places are all vulnerable. These places are all toss-up states, right? Um, and, 
I think that by ramming through a conservative justice, this is going to flip a lot of these over to the Democrats. So the Democrats are already favoured to win the Senate. There's no way that this doesn't help them take the Senate. No way, right? This this is going to, if they play their cards right, this is going to hugely help them win back the, win back the Senate and perhaps build a, a majority, right? And then you've also, like, think about 2022. The Senate map is already, it's, it's like, t- this year is a difficult year for the Democrats, right? And they might flip it in a difficult year. In 2022, the map becomes easier for the Democrats. I don't think they should be too worried about then losing the Senate again in in um, in 2022. This means if Biden wins, right, and again, this is going to help Biden. Like, there's no doubt this is going to help Biden. You, you don't raise $56 million in a day. And uh, that money, you know, that money is a sort of it's a it's a sign of just how energized the Democrats are and how much how desperate they are to get these fucking lunatics out of power. Can I ask you a question before we yeah. go any, any further? Because I just mm. I, I acknowledge all of the fundraising and all that stuff. I think saying this is like a net benefit or or like that, that this will help Democrats somehow. Let's say your premise is correct. Let's say that this somehow, and we'll never be able to prove this, but let's just say this somehow helps Democrats retake the Senate, which even before this, it looked like they had a chance of doing, but whatever. Let's say this is the thing that that pushes the Democrats over the edge and they can retake the Senate. Do you think a six to three conservative majority is a fair price to pay for that? Yeah, but this is the, so. This is where I think this is the ultimate price that I think that that Republicans are going to pay for doing this. Uh, I, I think then you, the Democrats have a complete carte blanche to stack to pack the court in their favour. They can put who they can they can pick four liberal justices and put them in the Supreme Court. Right, there's nothing well, in the Constitution that that says they can't pack the court. Right, there's absolutely nothing. So Biden would be well within his rights to do that. Well, um, they need that. They need a bill. The Judiciary Act of 1869 mandates that there be nine justices on the court. And you're right. There's nothing in the Constitution that says Congress uh, has to keep it at nine. You know, the Constitution never set the number of justices. Right. But you would need the House to pass a bill expanding the court, which – as currently constituted, you could probably get it done, and then you would need the Senate. You'd have to nu- first. You'd have to nuke the filibuster because yeah. there is no way, uh, you know, a, a minority leader McConnell would not attempt to block this. So you'd have to nuke the filibuster altogether, and then you'd need all of your people to vote for it, or fifty-one people, or fifty plus Vice President Kamala Harris in this scenario. Yeah, and I th- I think that they can get there. I genuinely think that they can get there. Uh, I don't. Like if they, I the, the appetite would be there. I think I think the appetite would be there to pack the court, uh, but also the threat of it as well. Like I mean, this is what Schumer apparently was on a call with Senate aides today, and said uh, he said uh, uh, during a, this uh, conference call with Senate Democrats, Schumer told his colleagues, "Let me be clear: if Leader McConnell and Senate Republicans move forward with this, then nothing is off the table for next year. Nothing is off the table." So this means that they are going that they are threatening to to do that. Right. Um, that's what he means. What he means is um, is packing the court. And the majority of Democrats agree with that. The majority of Democrats agree that, that the court should be packed. It, it like it's it's ridiculous. You can't do that. You can't steal two two Supreme Court seats like the Republicans have and get away with it. They cannot get away with this. And I think that Senate Democrats, they're not going to put up with it. Like, I think it's too much. 
you know so i feel like the blowback for this could be absolutely catastrophic for the for the republican party they could lose the presidency they could lose the senate um and they and they could potentially lose the supreme court because what the fuck could the republicans do what can they do like if let's say they they get it passed could they what can they do well, when they're back in power, they can expand the courts again. You know, they can have their own court packing. This right. is a this is a Pandora's box. And look, I agree Schumer should signal a willingness to do something like this and see what Republicans make of it. But the idea that Joe Biden would go along with something like this, I just don't see it at all. You got to remember, FDR tried to do this in 1937. They actually had a bill. FDR was pissed that the conservatives on the Supreme Court were kept striking down parts of the New Deal. And it, he took mm. flack from his own party on that because it was considered radical. And look, hey, I think Schumer should float it out there and see how Republicans react. But the idea that Long-time institutional guys like Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer would do this. I, I, I do not see it. I don't think they've got a choice. I, I genuinely think now they don't. They don't have a choice with a, with a six-three um, uh, majority. You know, they can get rid of. They can. They can smash everything. The ACA. They can smash um, Roe versus Wade. Environmental legislation. Like it. This is a. This is a nightmare. Right. It's like a nightmare scenario. I think that, it, like the Republicans, have forced them into this position to do this. Right? They have no. They have like now. I don't think they have any other option, and they should. They should absolutely do it with absolutely no qualms whatsoever. Just do it. Just stack the court. Just get you. I mean, one thing Biden is good at. He's good at basically getting. You know, he's good at whipping um, uh, the Senate. In you know, he's good at building coalitions. He's good at getting people to vote on bills. And so I think he could do that quite easily. I think he'd be able to get, uh, if the Democrats win, he'd be able to get the votes to do it. Uh, and why not? They just like, the thing is, is that Republicans, it's the Republicans who have forced this to happen, not the Democrats. So I don't think they should feel bad about doing it at all. I agree there, there, you know, this is not like long-term. It may be, you know, this might, this, this, this is going to have long-term implications that could may not play out in the Democrats' favour. But I think that if you look at the de demographic, demographically speaking, the Republicans are in trouble. Right, long-term, the part, long-term, the country is turning blue. There are red states um, that are turning purple, and there are purple states that are turning blue. It's not going the other way. Not really. The trend is is uh, is, is skewing heavily towards the Democrats. Uh, you know, this, the Senate map is favours the Democrats it, it, over the next few cycles, as I understand it. There, there is going to be a lot that the, that the Democrats can do to undo the damage that Republicans have done to the country. And I think that the, the more that they do that, the more that they solidify their power. Right in, in in throughout the country, right, and just do just and this is what this is how I think you have to treat Republicans, right? It, it's a zero sum game. This is like, this is basically it's a war, right? And you you don't negotiate with them, you don't tell them what you're doing, you just do it. You do it, and then you you deal with the consequences after, right? It's it's a complete it's a winner takes all system that the Republican they, they, and they've created this system, right? So this is the game that we now play. Like the only language they understand is power. And so they must they have to be shown power. They have to be shown just pure power. Like, okay, we're gonna start we're gonna pack the Supreme Court and there's nothing you can do about it. I, I just gotta vent here for a second because frankly, I am tired of us playing by the rules and adhering to political norms while the Republicans just do whatever they want after getting fewer votes. 
Bush in 2000, Trump in 2016, the Senate in 2018. Did you know that the Democratic Senate candidates in the 2018 midterms collectively won the popular vote by 19 points? And they lost two seats in that election. They lost two seats. This is perverse. And Republicans, they gerrymander congressional districts. They gerrymander state legislative districts. In Wisconsin in 2018, Democratic state Senate candidates won 53% of the vote cast. And what happened? Republicans got more than 60% of the seats. This is wrong. And Republicans will say, this is how the system works. Well, the system is fucking broken, okay? It's fucking broken. And the idea that this system is the way it is because it was designed to ensure to get the best people in, which was espoused by the framers, is bullshit. If that's what the system intended to produce, the best people in office, then it's failed miserably. These aren't the best people. They're political nihilists. And in the case of the president, who got fewer votes than his opponent, three million fewer, he's a narcissist who bragged about grabbing women by the pussy. And he still won. And then once he gets in, he ignores the biggest public health crisis in 100 years to the tune of 200,000 dead Americans and counting. And he's still downplaying it. And he's saying there are problems with wearing a mask. If this is what the system produces, our system is fucking damaged. This is no way to run a democracy. There's no way to run a country. It's embarrassing. It's infuriating. And it's fucking dangerous. Yes, no, you're you're 100 right about that. But the only way to change this is to, to be honest with you, like, and this is why I think Trump has be, been the best thing for the Democrats in terms of taking taking control of the country to to have ever happened. There's no way that any of these issues could have been dealt with without Trump. I mean, just look at what's happening in Virginia right now. Like, the whole state is being completely transformed. It's a democratic state. It's a democratic stronghold. Uh, you know, the Democrat they're plowing money into these into these. Uh, um, uh, into the state legislature, they've done it in Virginia. They're doing it in Texas. They're doing it in all over the country, right? Um, so that they can they can basically uh, stop all the gerrymandering. They can stop all the um, the tricks that Republicans use to um, you know like voter suppression and things like that, right? The more Democrats get in, in in power, the more that they can reverse this damage, right? And and set the scene for a more a, a fairer system going into the future, which then means that you know they get to keep. They'll, they'll control the, the the country. And I think the Republicans instinctively understand this. They understand sort of what's happening in a mass scale in the country, right? That the country is turning bluer. So they're in a sort of grab for power at the moment. They're taking what power they can when they can get it. But I think that this ultimately has consequences you know the, the the political implications of this of the political blowback is 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 getting more and more serious right i mean just look what happened in 2018 the democrat there was a historic victory in the midterms right a, a huge tsunami or um you know the, like we should not discount what what happened in 2018 in the midterms yeah they didn't take back the senate but they destroyed the republicans um, around the rest of the country, governor races, like you know, uh, took back Congress. I mean, it's it's uh, and and I see that this potentially could be happening again, right? So the, you undo the damage by getting Democrats into power, right? And the more brazen the Republicans behave, the more likely Democrats are to get into power. 
You know, so I think that, yeah, like, look, this look, it's a very scary time at the moment, right? And their naked grabs for power and then, and their sort of naked political maneuvering. It's just, it's quite, it's quite terrifying to realize that, like, what Mitch McConnell is capable of. But I see, I, I now I just see that there being no choice if they do this. I don't see how the Democrats don't, you know, don't use their position. You know, Biden will have six months, right? He'll have six months if he gets into power to radically change the country. Right. And I think he should just do it. They should just fucking rip the bandaid off. You kick out all the Trump people uh, from all branches of government. Um, you, you pack the Supreme Court fund. You know, you go sign, sign up to the Paris Climate Accord again, re-sign up to the Paris Climate Accord, get a new deal, uh, and a new environmental legislation. Just ram it all through as fast as possible. So in six months time, you transform the country. Uh, and I think that that's what they're going to that's what they're going to have to do now. And the Republicans are like forcing the Democrats to do this. Like they're making, creating the conditions for this to happen. Yes, they might. There's no way that a, a Democratic president um, and a Democratic-controlled Senate is going to allow a six-three majority, uh, or a six-three Republican majority in the Supreme Court. No way. Not if they. Not after this. Not after this bullshit. Not after what McConnell's about to pull. They need to be fed a dose of their own medicine. You know that that that's it. You know, and I, the appetite. I think the appetite's there. You know. I feel like I am constantly let down and disappointed by the Democratic Party. I hope I am wrong and that they will not go through with this, but I remain skeptical. I don't see President Biden and a Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer going through with a court packing plan. But you're right about 2022. The map is not favorable to Republicans in 2022. It's just an absolute dumpster fire for them. Uh, that's assuming, of course, we haven't descended into uh, Republican-run autocracy by then. And, and that's a big assumption, by the way. Uh, I think we, <laughs> we're headed down the road to autocracy, and it needs to be stopped. But if we don't get full fascism by then, this map is so bad for them. Republicans have to defend 20 seats. And the big ones, Marco Rubio is going to be up for re-election in Florida. And you know, Democratic super PACs are just going to pour money into that race. Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, Rob Portman in Ohio, Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania. In Iowa, you're going to have Chuck Grassley, who will be 256 years old in 2022 <laughs> when he's up for re-election if he decides not to retire. Burr is retiring in North Carolina. Those are all very gettable seats. A little tougher would be, uh, you mentioned Alaska, but not impossible. Murkowski, I think she's retiring. Roy Blunt in Missouri, he had to eke one out in 2016. Uh, you got Todd Young in Indiana. That might be tough. Maybe Tim Scott in South Carolina. Maybe he's vulnerable. You know, I think how Lindsey Graham does this year might serve as a harbinger for how Scott does in South Carolina in two years. And then like, you know, maybe long shots like, uh, you know, Rand Paul is up for re-election in Kentucky and Jerry, I think Jerry Moran is up for re-election in Kansas. But as far as the Democratic incumbents are concerned, the only states they really have to worry about, I guess, are Colorado, Nevada, and New Hampshire in 2022. Other than that, this map is a disaster for the GOP. But again, that's assuming we're allowed to have a free and fair election in 2022, which is a big if. Uh, no, right. I mean, so, so look, I think there are a lot of favorable conditions for the democrats after post post 2020 things are going to start looking a lot rosier you know uh, and i'm saying this 
on the assumption that Biden's going to win, which is an assumption. You know, I, it's not a, a certainty by any means, right? You know, there's still 44 days to go to the 43 days to go uh, to the election and anything can happen uh, as we've seen. Um, but I don't, I think that the, you know, it looks, the more you look at the map, Trump's path to victory, the more you realize that like, okay, this is not good, right? He, he has very few paths to victory and it's not, uh, it's, it's not likely to happen. You know, so again, it comes down to whether the Democrats can, it w- will flex their muscles when they're in power. And I think that like, given the favorable conditions going forward, I don't see why they wouldn't, you know, granted you're talking about the Democrats here, but yeah, look, I do, and this is one thing I do, I feel that, that Pelosi and Schumer have been, they've dealt with, um, the Trump in, in quite, at least Pelosi, in my opinion, has really um, managed to outmaneuver Trump on many, many, many occasions. You know, she's a very skilled operator. Uh, and Pelosi and Schumer together are, are seem to be a fairly form. And, and a lot of the progressive wing of the Democrat Party don't like them. But I think that they've been quite effective at uh, out. You know, there's Trump loves to do these games of like brinksmanship. And I think that Pelosi is quite happy. Pelosi and Schumer are quite happy to play that game as well. And they've basically, they've, they've outlasted Trump on, on many occasions. And, you know, you can look at the, um, you know, the government shutdown for one thing. Uh, they're holding, they're holding steady on the, um, on the, the second round for the stimulus, you know, so they've been, they've shown some courage. And I think that, you know, yeah, there, there'll just be an appetite there to, to stop this madness. You know, you can't, you can't, um, you know, the the party that's lost the popular vote in six out of the, out of the last seven presidential elections, the fact that they've now, contro- they're controlling the Supreme Court is outrageous. You know, it's completely outrageous. And I think that, um, you know, that Democrats are not going to allow the party to, to let this slide. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm feeling, you know, I'd like to see, I want to see, I'm eager to see how this plays out. But look, the, again, the priority right now is to get Trump out of office. That's the number one, that's the number one mission is to get this guy out of office. Even if you lose the Supreme Court, like it's still worth the price, you know, it, it's, I think it's worth the price to get Trump out of office. Well, they have lost the Supreme Court already. I mean, they, they haven't had it in our lifetimes, but, right. but yeah, I know I, I get what you're saying. Like it's, even if it means another conservative justice, yeah. So I, I think that you know, even if it means um, going down, having an even smaller minority in the court, right? If that's the cost of getting rid of Trump, I, you know, look, I think there were almost any cost, right? I would say even losing both houses in Congress would be worth the cost of getting rid of Trump. Right, and the Supreme Court. You lose the Supreme Court, you uh, or, or or you you reduce your minority in the Supreme Court. You lose the the both um, both houses of Congress. That's that's worth getting rid of Trump. I'll take a lame duck Biden right over over Trump um, in, in office again. Right, that that's how serious this situation is. So look, it's we're in a bad situation. Uh, with Ginsburg, the, the passing of Ginsburg, and it's it, it, it's very very dangerous right now. But there's still a lot. The Democrats have a lot have leverage. Right? They have leverage in that they can they can um, hold this up. They can they can threaten to pack the courts um, if if Republicans ram this through. They, there's a lot they can do to slow it down um, to make this play out uh, as badly for the Republicans as possible. They can raise a huge amount of money off the back of this brazen attempt to um, 
to rig the court again or steal another another seat on the court again. So I think, you know, you've got to look at the positives here, right? In every crisis, there's an opportunity. And I think there are big opportunities here. We just ended on another high note, and I am frightened. Is Stephen <laughs> Breyer okay? Is 82-year-old Stephen Breyer okay? I think he's 82. Uh, I, th- I think that's that'll do. Obviously, this is something we'll continue to discuss in the coming weeks. For now, we're going to transition to the podcast we had originally recorded. Please uh, stay tuned for that. We hope you do. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 27 of the Banter Podcast. This is your host, Ben Kern. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Uh, Mike, my friend, how are you? I'm impressed, Ben. I am impressed by... The level of anger in a piece you wrote for the Banter Newsletter on Wednesday. Uh, You don't often write angry. This was angry, and it might be the angriest you've ever written, and it was great. It's very subtle. It's titled, Dear David Sirota, For the Love of God, Shut the Fuck Up. Some listeners, that that might have gone over their heads, the subtlety, uh, (laughs) but this piece was... (laughs) I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, David Sirota, for those who aren't familiar, is a Bernie Sanders progressive, like me. But unlike me, uh, Sirota does not seem to understand what is at stake in November. uh, Or he does understand and he just doesn't care. The the problem with Sirota, and I'll read from your piece, uh, Ben, you say... There is nothing more important to David Sirota than reminding his devoted followers that Joe Biden is a very bad, terrible candidate every single hour of every single day of every single week of every single goddamn month. You also write, Sirota might be more concerned about Joe Biden's insufficiently liberal voting record, but the rest of us are trying to remove the man who knew exactly how dangerous COVID-19 was when it hit America, but deliberately lied about it to keep the stock market afloat. You know, the former reality TV star, credibly accused of rape and sexual assault by 25 women. The racist demagogue who pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord, separated migrant newborns from their mothers at the U.S. border, and passed one of the biggest tax cuts skewed heavily toward the rich in history. That guy. Apparently, Sirota isn't all that concerned about him because the Democrats are really, really, really bad. I loved it. And what I loved about that, just when I thought the piece was going to be over, you kept going. <laughs> you just kept going and getting more pissed off as as the piece went on. So that was great, Ben. I, I, a round of applause. Oh, well, I, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it, Mike. Yeah, no, I, I wrote that um, in a fit of anger late night. And I'd just been on Twitter, which you shouldn't do late at night. I will say this. I I. I, t- I st- basically cancelled my my personal twitter account i just we just have the banter account at the moment just because it was just too toxic so anyway breaking all my own rules i was reading twitter at night and uh looking at uh, a stream of tweets by david sirota and you know i follow david sirota because i like to see what you know i like to follow lots of different people on twitter to see what you know everyone's thinking and um David Sirota is one of the most annoying human beings on the planet. And what I think, you know, interestingly thing about David Sirota is that, or or, or ironically, I would say, is that what he doesn't understand, what David Sirota doesn't understand is that Bernie Sanders, part of the reason why Bernie Sanders can't get elected is because of people like David Sirota. 
right? Who make it then impossible for other people to get behind Bernie Sanders, right? So, so David Sorrette is in this very strange position of of being one of the major reasons why mainstream, more more moderate Democrats can't get behind Bernie Sanders because he's such a dickhead, right? That he demands moral purity from from everybody. I mean, for God's sake, Bernie Sanders has been out there begging everyone to get behind Joe Biden. I mean, he did it immediately. Sanders was immediately got behind Biden. Like, he didn't even think about it. There was no, there was no delay. There was no umming and ahhing. There was just, please vote for, for Joe Biden. And he has literally begged his supporters to do the same. And Sirota, who was hired by Bernie Sanders, he's, even Bernie Sanders is not sufficiently Bernie Sanders enough for him. I mean, what, it's crazy. It is crazy, and Sirota's not alone in this. No. Uh, you know, we mentioned before, there's a cottage industry of these, like, never-Biden people. Sirota and Michael Tracy and Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald. I have yet another bone to pick with this guy. Glenn Greenwald is one of these guys who, he's not pro-Trump, but he spends his entire day lampooning the Democratic Party and Joe Biden and the media and he really doesn't have much negative to say about Donald Trump. And, but I think we've reached peak Greenwald uh, last week when he tweeted out. Now, of course, Greenwald, he's a, he's a big uh, freedom of the press guy. He's a big Julian Assange defender. And this is what he had to say uh, last week. Trump posting mean tweets about Wolf Blitzer and Chuck Todd on insulting Jim Acosta, grave threat to the Press freedoms. U.S. government trying to extradite Assange to criminalize working with his source as espionage, the most dangerous precedent in years? Yawn or yay. And it's like, all right, let's break this down here for a second. Glenn Greenwald is apparently pissed off at the media for allegedly ignoring or downplaying or even celebrating the U.S.'s attempt to extradite Julian Assange. He's pissed off at them. Is he pissed off at Donald Trump in this tweet? whose government is trying to actually extradite Julian Assange? Like, of course not. <laughs> Donald Trump could stop this. He could tell his stooge, Bill Barr, the attorney general, stop. Trump could stop this, but he's not doing it. And who knows? For all we know, he really wants to get it done. But Glenn Greenwald doesn't have time for that aspect. He doesn't want to criticize the one person who could stop this. Instead, he's training his fire on Wolf Blitzer, Jim Acosta, and Chuck Todd, who can't do fuck all about it. And that just shows you where his priorities are. And Greenwald's shtick, his shtick has been that Democrats exaggerated Russiagate and Trump's ties to Russia. And in some cases, that's true. Some people were calling Trump a Russian agent and so forth. But we just had a Senate Intel report come out a couple of weeks ago. It makes clear there was enough communication between people in the Trump orbit, like Paul Manafort and Roger Stone, and Russia, and also WikiLeaks in Stone's case, to show, yeah, there was a there there. And Robert Mueller, we recently learned, was directed by Rod Rosenstein. He was advised by Rosenstein not to look into it. So that's special. And wouldn't you know, Russia's trying to screw with the 2020 election now, too. And that's been reported for some time. But the other day, we had FBI Director Christopher Wray say in the plainest of terms that this is happening. This is Trump's handpicked FBI director testifying before the House Homeland Security Committee. He was asked about Russian election interference. And here is what he said. 
the intelligence community's consensus uh, is that Russia continues to try to influence our elections, primarily through what we would call malign foreign influence, as opposed to what we saw in 2016, where there was also an effort to target election infrastructure, you know, cyber targeting. We have not seen that second part yet this year or this cycle. Uh, but we certainly have seen very active, very active uh, efforts by the Russians to influence our election in 2020 uh, through what I would call more the malign foreign influence uh, side of things. Social media, use of, of proxies, uh, state media, online journals, uh, etc., an effort to both sow divisiveness and discord. Uh, and and I think the intelligence community has has uh, assessed this publicly to primarily to denigrate Vice President Biden and what the Russians see as kind of an anti-Russian establishment. Okay, and, and another thing Ray said during his testimony, he said that Antifa, which Trump said he wants to go after, he said that Antifa isn't an organization but an ideology. So. The FBI director said some things that go against the Trump narrative in this hearing, and naturally Trump can't let that go. And so after Ray's testimony, Trump tweeted about Antifa saying, and I look at them as a bunch of well-funded anarchists and thugs who are protected because the Comey Mueller inspired FBI is simply unable or unwilling to find their funding source and allows them to get away with murder, law and order. You know, he just he can't stand when somebody in his in his administration says something that goes against his lies, his his crooked narratives. He he just can't let it go. He has to come out and he has to double down and he has to trash the FBI, basically, you know, because Comey and Mueller, they're the last two FBI directors that we've had. And he's implying here that the FBI is tainted because he doesn't like Mueller. He doesn't like Comey for obvious reasons. The man is just a child. By the way, I have a, yet another clip of another top Trump official contradicted some things that the president had said. And that's CDC uh, head Robert Redfield. And I'm going to play this this back and forth that the BBC put together, not directly between Redfield and Trump, because it's not like they're contradicting each other in real time. I don't I can't imagine a scenario where that would happen, although that would be pretty great. But it's just basically a, a brief montage of Redfield stressing the importance of masks and talking about when a, a vaccine is going to be developed and Trump saying the complete opposite and shitting on Redfield. So I'm going to play this clip. I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a COVID vaccine, because the immunogenicity may be 70%. And if I don't get an immune response, the vaccine is not going to protect me. This face mask will. By the way, a lot of people don't want to wear masks. There are a lot of people think the masks are not good. The concept of a mask is good, but it also does. You're constantly touching it. You're touching your face. You're touching plates. There are people that don't think masks are good. I think there will be vaccine that initially be available sometime between November and December, but very limited supply and will have to be prioritized. If you're asking me, when is it going to be generally available to the American public so we can begin to take advantage of vaccine? To get back to our regular life, I think we're probably looking at third, late second quarter, third quarter, 2021. 
I got the impression that he didn't realize he said what he might have said. I didn't see him say it. But if that's what he said, it's a mistake because he's so ready. We're ready to distribute immediately to a vast section of our country and then beyond because we want to help other countries also. But we're ready to distribute immediately. So that's Trump contradicting his own CDC director. He's talking about, you know, we're ready. We would be ready to distribute a vaccine immediately. What Trump is saying is that if we developed a vaccine today, they'd be ready to go out today and distribute to all Americans. And that's just not the case. Like the, the logistics involved in distributing a vaccine to 340 million people across a large stretch of land is just fucking immense. And you don't need to be a logistics expert to know that. You just know it intuitively. Trump- the, the idea that Trump, the Trump administration is going to handle this in, in the right way is also just completely ludicrous, right? They are, these guys couldn't order, um, organize a piss up in a brewery, as we like to say in, in the UK, you know, let alone distribute a, a vital vaccine, a, a recently developed vaccine to 300, how many is it? 350 million people, are you saying? Yeah, about that, 340. About 340, 350 million, 150 million people. It's, it's just not going to happen. Uh, I mean, and also, I mean, look, like, when it comes to the vaccine, I've been following this stuff pretty pretty closely, and you there are there are conflicting messages about when the vaccine is going to be ready, like how ready are they going to be to distribute it? When are we going to know when it's ready? Whether it's you know how how effective it is, what percentage effective does it need to be? There, there is a quite a lot of conflicting data, so it, it's quite hard to figure out what's going on. But but basically, you know. The president's job is to basically tell people you're kind of giving people worst case scenario, right? This is what like a good leader would do: should be like, look, we get, you know, we hope for this, but we've got to be realistic and we've got to plan for the worst. And this is what the worst thing looks like, so we need to be ready for this. But instead, he does the opposite and he gives the absolutely best case scenario, um, better than the best case scenario all the time on everything. You know, virus is going to disappear. You know, like that, like 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 magic, it will go away. You know, we're going to have a vaccine. You know, before election day, uh, and we'll have we'll be ready to distribute it to everyone. You know, despite what people in the in the fucking CDC are saying. I mean, I mean, anyway, yeah, it's it's just just a shocking, shocking sort of abdication of duty. You know, as as a, as a president, I mean, it's just. Is, is you know there were there were, I, I don't have any words left really to describe how how awful his uh, his leadership has been during the coronavirus pandemic and this is again just a, the whole mask thing I mean I mean really this is his you know with seven weeks to go uh, and the pandemic is about to get worse right I think everyone seems to acknowledge, everyone acknowledges now that you know we're we're we're, prob- we're likely to get a second wave it's happening it's kicking off in Europe you know, we're head we're heading into flu season so things are going to get worse and now he's uh, he's downplaying the need to wear a mask he's crazy it, he is crazy and in another instance he said it, that wasn't in that clip he said something like there are a lot of problems with masks and I don't understand why he would say that. First of all, it's not true, as most of the things that come out of his mouth are. But it does not benefit him at all. The the mask skeptics and the COVID hoaxers, they're already in his camp. Why he would come out and say there are problems with masks, I have no earthly idea. 
I, I think this is just yet another example of of him just doing the wrong thing, whether it benefits him or not. You know, like firing Comey, which was right. just a terrible thing to do, but he just it felt right in the moment for him, even though it was objectively the wrong thing to do, and so he did it. I mean, I I, I there's a really interesting piece I think I was reading in. Uh politico about where how, how trump can sort of turn his campaign around and the article spoke to a lot of different kind of uh, veterans veterans of various different campaigns and and uh and you know republican strategies and democratic strategies and one of the one of the um sources who was a republican strategist said basically one of the ways trump the only real way that trump turns this around is try to address his the perception of him as a disastrous leader during the pandemic right is that what can you do what could he do to make things better right and 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 the first thing would be to offer a sort of mere culprit and say like look i didn't there were some things we got wrong and i'm sorry for that and i acknowledge that we didn't get you know, we didn't do things the right way, but moving forward, you know, this is what we, we're going to do. So please give me another chance, you know, and here's the plan. Basically, that was that was his idea of the is the only <laughs> right. Wait, get the hell out of here. Are you who wrote that? Who actually put that forward as a possibility? The, the name escapes me. The name escapes me. But it but it was basically from a strategic political point of view. This is how you would play it. Like if it was any other normal candidate in history any other normal president in history that's what you would be advised to do and it's the only thing that trump cannot do right, right? no there's no way he can do it there's that's it's not it's not who he is he is totally incapable of doing something like that uh, so to even raise it as a possibility is just ridiculous yeah he's he's, he's not capable of doing it and and you know look you know the, the, if you look at what's happening on the uh, on the map right now, right, Trump is facing a sort of you know he he's basically almost I wouldn't say worst case I wouldn't say it's a worst case scenario to Trump, but it's it's pretty bad, right? If you if you're looking if you're looking at the poll numbers, right, that in in all the vital swing states, um, uh, Trump is behind. Right, he he's significantly behind. It's you know Pennsylvania is one of the most important states, um, and you know he's polling consistently behind Biden, according to according to every reputable poll. He's behind he's behind Biden. Um, you know the Democrats have now it's now so bad that the Democrats are now according to five thirty eight today the Democrats are slightly favoured to win the Senate now. Right, which is, I mean, it's a challenging map for the Democrats. The Senate has always been a, it's been a challenging map um, for years now, uh, and 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 they're now favoured to win the, the the Senate, which is this is a, a disaster for the Republicans. I mean, a complete disaster if they lose the presidency and the Senate, that's it. They're out of power, right, and, and with, with nothing, you know. So you would have thought that, I mean, who the fuck is in charge? Who is who is in charge of Trump's campaign or telling him or, you know, or message, there's just no message discipline whatsoever. Like he cannot stay on track. All he, all he has to do, right. Is to, if I were Trump in the Trump campaign, I would be telling the, telling Trump to focus on issues like law and order and the economy, right. 
but he can't. He's just incapable of doing that because he always gets, he can't accept being wrong about something. Like everyone think, you know, in his small mind, because he's done such a shitty job and everyone's telling him he's done a shitty job, he has to keep talking about it to make sure that, that you, you, you know, that you, you, you know, he, he thinks he's done a great job, right? So he, he's like obsessed with it. He's obsessed with with uh, with all the negative news he's getting about the coronavirus, and he's tr- desperately trying to change the perception of it. Uh, and he can't, you know, the damage has been done. So, you know, I, I yeah, I mean, it's a complete own goal, really. You know, uh, seven weeks out. I mean, how many of these mistakes can he afford to make? I mean, it's completely crazy. Well, I would argue that he has been trying uh, to paint himself as the law and order president. I mean, but it's not working. Uh, there was a Reuters poll conducted last week uh, showing that, let's see, only 11% of suburban white voters, so that's the demo that Trump is really going to, to – to, he's really been targeting that demo. Only 11% of suburban white voters said the most important factor driving their support is a candidate being tough on crime and civil unrest. And I think – I don't know if it's the same poll or it might be another poll, but – it showed that uh, most voters, more voters, uh, trusted Biden over Trump when it comes to the law and order stuff, if I recall correct. So, and and you know the 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 reason for that would be obvious that all this unrest is happening on Donald Trump's watch. So. I think the Trump campaign, they're trying a whole bunch of things. They're trying law and order. They're trying to brag about the economy, even though it's a fucking dumpster fire still, thanks to the pandemic and Trump's horrible handling of it. And they're also trying to paint Joe Biden as some radical socialist, which to me, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like they were planning to run against Sanders and they just never – they never adjusted their strategy. They're throwing the same book at Biden that they would have thrown at Sanders. And they're saying that you know uh, Biden is beholden to the radical left. Really? If he were beholden to the radical left, if the radical left were so powerful, right, then why the hell is Joe Biden the nominee in the first place? Why isn't Bernie Sanders the nominee or Tulsi Gabbard? or even Elizabeth Warren, if the radical left were this powerful, Joe Biden would not be anywhere near this nomination. It just, it right. doesn't make he any sense. He wouldn't have picked Kamala Harris. He wouldn't have, Kamala Harris wouldn't, right. wouldn't be his, his, uh, his VP. You know, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, um, they're running against a candidate that doesn't exist, which is, uh, which is, I mean, look, you know, one of the things I will say about the 2016 campaign, you know, looking back, looking back on it, even though everyone thought that Trump was going to lose badly, um, one, one thing that they did do incredibly well um, in what was otherwise a complete, I mean, Trump's campaign was a fucking disaster. Yeah, I think you know, you know, it's always good to remember how bad his campaign was and the fact that he still won, right? I mean, you know, we should we should never forget that. Um, you know, looking when we look at this election and, and be cautious. But but one thing they did incredibly well was to define Hillary Clinton, right? They like Trump did a just a that you know, and it was a masterclass in trolling someone and and like a schoolyard bully, you know. Um, defined Hillary Clinton and relentlessly attacked her for all sorts of nonsense that was, you know, there were kernels of truth in it, but then, you know, mostly it was just complete bullshit. 
Um, and he he was able to do that. But this time round, like, I don't know, you know, yeah, I don't, they're not running against Hillary Clinton. They're running against Joe Biden. They're not running against Bernie Sanders. They're running against Joe Biden. Um, and I don't know who in the campaign is, is, is there saying, okay, why don't we need to talk about Joe Biden, you know, and, and, and stop with this kind of fictional version of, of, of him. I mean, Joe Biden's been in his, his career, he's had a career in politics for 40 years, right? You, you know, nobody can paint, nobody can argue the guy's a radical socialist. No one, like, it's just not possible, you know? The guy, like you know, my beef with Joe Biden is that, I, is that he's never been uh, left wing enough. You know, he he's got a patchy record for on on liberal issues. Uh, you know, he's got all sorts of there's you know the credit card is um, support the credit card industry and there are all sorts of things that I'm not a fan of Joe Biden for, right? And and but one of the things is he that is definitely not that he's a closet socialist that he's a closet um, radical socialist so yeah it's it's a terrible terrible mistake that they're making i i think you know, if you're looking at this objectively you would think like you know it's it's a really terrible terrible sort of um strategic mistake i think to to run against run against a candidate who doesn't exist it goes back to the beginning of our show when we talked about david sirota and, you know, Matt Taibbi and, and Greenwald and these other lefties. I mean, what do they think of Joe Biden? Right. Like Joe Biden is not beholden to the radical. Look, look what the left, the left left has to say about Joe Biden. It's not good things. So the idea that he is beholden uh, to them is just absurd. And like you said, he's been in, in public life for 50 years. I mean, there is not a more known quantity in American politics right now than Joe Biden. Than Joe Biden, right, exactly. Switching gears, we, we talked about a couple of Trump officials who uh, contradicted the president in public. Let's talk about one who doesn't contradict the president in public, and that is Bill Barr. Bill Barr, I have to say, is high in the running for worst attorney general in U.S. history in an incredibly strong field. And there are people now who say he already is, you know, oh, he's got to be the worst general, attorney general in U.S. history. But you have to remember guys like, you know, John Mitchell, who literally had his wife drugged so she stopped talking to a reporter about Watergate, which John Mitchell was helping Nixon cover up. You had uh, A. Mitchell Palmer under Woodrow Wilson, who was responsible for the Palmer raids, where thousands of leftists were rounded up and 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 deported. At least those who were immigrants were deported during the Red Scare. You could probably throw in Harry Doherty in there, who was Harding's AG during the Teapot Dome scandal. Bill Barr is in that neighborhood, and if Trump is reelected. I promise you, Bill Barr will become the undisputed worst attorney general in U.S. history. He just he just needs a little more time. He might be right now, but to be the undisputed worst attorney general, he needs a little more time. So if Trump is reelected, he will be the worst AG in U.S. history. Of that, I have uh, absolutely no doubt. In fact, I guarantee it. Anyway, Bill Barr last week uh, spent some time shitting on his own department. He was speaking at uh, something called Hillsdale College, and he seemed to be lamenting the fact that 
federal prosecutors get a lot of attention and the things they say and the cases they bring and they're, how they're just, I guess, I guess he was ruining the fact that they're very respected because he said this, name one successful organization or institution where the lowest level employees' decisions are deemed sacrosanct. There aren't. There aren't any letting the most junior members set the agenda. And he went on to say, it might be a good philosophy for a Montessori preschool, but it is no way to run a federal agency. So just in a span of a few sentences, he just shit all over his own employees, people who have been with the department for years and years and years, who have been respected prosecutors, and he just completely took a giant dump on them. And also in the speech, he said, here's what he said about COVID lockdowns. You know, putting a national lockdown, stay-at-home orders is like house arrest. Other than slavery, which was a different kind of restraint, this is the greatest intrusion on civil liberties in American history. What? what? Where do they get these fucking guys from? This is what I want to – like, where do these where – do, where does Trump find these gremlins – Barr was – he was the attorney general under George H.W. Bush. Here's what, here's, here's what I thought. When Trump nominated Barr, I, I knew who he was, and I knew he had very strong views on the executive branch. He's an adherent to something called the unitary executive theory, which is basically you believe that the president has extremely broad powers. I knew we I were going to get that, but I had no idea. But I had no idea the lengths to which Barr would go, it, 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 because it seems to me he doesn't think there should be any restraint on the executive. Right. I mean, look, and, and I, I think, um, you know, his his sort of t- tenure as AG under H.W. Um, uh, Bush was, you know, say what you will about about uh, Bush senior. Um, but the guy was not a criminal. You know, the guy was not. I mean, at least not in, in well, relative to what's happening now. You, you know what I mean? Like, the, so I guess maybe we didn't fully see just how compliant bar would be um when a genuine fascist sort of tin pot wannabe dictator takes over like how easily cooptable bar would be i mean i like like you say i mean i i did my research on the guy when he came in and and, and but nothing i i didn't think it was going to be this bad he is this bad they, they did their re- look. Credit to the Trump administration, though, for doing their research on let's find let's find the um, the the most co- you know compliant um, tool we can possibly get. You know, who will be willing to let literally anything slide. Uh, Barr has found the perfect vessel for the unitary executive theory, and it's a person who is willing to. I mean, he's already floated the idea of uh, of running again in 2024, even if he wins, because Trump said the you know, first one shouldn't count because of all the the, the Russia stuff thrown his way and and all this, uh, you know. And he's tweeted he's tweeted videos and memes of Trump 2024. 24, Trump 2028, Trump 2032, and on and on and on. You, you know, and this just reminds me, like, you know, the, the Trumpers, they'll say, oh, he tells it like it is. But when Trump does shit like this, talking about running for a third term when he can't constitutionally, they say, oh, he's just kidding. 
It's like, which is it? He either tells it like it is, or he doesn't. Like, just make up your fucking mind. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think when you've got a a, this is again like the the Republican Party. If you have, if Obama, just imagine Obama had done that. You know, if Obama had been tweeting about twenty twenty Obama, right, twenty twenty four Obama, twenty twenty eight Obama, like in two thousand and fifteen. He would be gone. They would have impeached him immediately. Yeah, right? I, it's it's the game. Uh, I mean, it it gets old in some ways. In others, it doesn't. Like, what if Obama had done this? I, it's just a, easy to imagine. Look at fucking Benghazi. They got years of hearings out of Benghazi. Okay, for for, for a non complete non scandal, that Republicans cleared Hillary Clinton. Republicans cleared Clinton of any wrongdoing. You know, this is the, again the thing that that Republicans love to forget. It's like, all, there are, I think, were there five federal investigations into Hillary Clinton um, uh, launched by Republican Congress, and all of them launched by Republican Congress, helmed by Republicans, all cleared by Republicans. But yet, apparently, Hillary Clinton is the most corrupt candidate in history. Republicans, they are willing to play politics with anything. They they really are that Benghazi thing, that was about that it was a security failure, right? Plain and yeah. simple. There's no way to spin it. Four Americans died. The the, uh, the ambassador and uh, three uh, security contractors. Uh, it was a security failure. But and this is something that happened under George W. Bush. Bob Seska wrote a piece years ago talking about the 13 Benghazis that happened on the watch of George W. Bush, where U.S. consulates and embassies were attacked, right? But, you know, Republicans seize upon this thing that unfortunately is is a reality from time to time, rarely, but it does happen. Republicans were able to seize upon this and just politicize it and just make it into something that it wasn't. I don't even understand. To this day, I don't understand what the hell their premise was. Like, you know, Hillary Clinton is Secretary of State. She she decided to let it happen or something. Do they honestly think that they didn't try to to, to stop it or or, or what? I I don't know. I do not know to this day what the hell the Republicans were getting at, and I don't think they know either. Right, they just, they just, it's just chicks basically chuck as much shit against the wall and hope some of it sticks. That's the, that's the strategy. You know, it doesn't matter if it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, just say it anyway. Just say whatever. Say whatever and hope that some of it sticks. Hope that the, hope that the Sean Hannity's and all the, all the morons at Fox News and Breitbart repeat whatever it, whatever bullshit claim you know some fruitcake on twitter's come up with uh and and see see if it sticks you know and a lot of the time amazingly it does stick like they can get this stuff to stick they can get this stuff to work it's like it's incredible i mean i've had long conversations with trump supporting friends of mine um about hillary clinton's wrongdoing and hunter biden and barissimo and all these fake scandals that that republic trump and republicans make up um and and anybody with with a functioning brain can see that it's bullshit, but they can't. They genuinely can't, right? Because it's 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 you know, 
uh, maybe it's a critical thinking. Uh, maybe it's to do with critical thinking. I, I, I don't know. But I think when you've got a, a, a mass follow, your following basically consists of people who who aren't able to think properly, who have never been trained to, uh, you know, to to think critically, um, who don't understand source how to evaluate sourcing or how you dissect evidence or how you evaluate evidence, right? When you've got you know vast number of people of people who just incapable of making rational rational and reasonable decisions, you can just say whatever the fuck you want, right? And it will get it will get um, you know and and Fox News will dutifully uh, put their best minds on convincing you that there's something there. Yeah, you've got Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson is like the sort of he he's the sort of the final mouthpiece, right? That goes out to the sort of so the, the independent voter, right, in America. But the, Tucker Carlson's there to translate the the sort of um, illiterate rantings of conspiracy theorists, right, to to the independents and make it somewhat palatable. Uh, you know, then they've got they've got um, anchors for different different um, levels of the of uh, America's electorate. You know, you've got Tucker Carlson for the independents, then you've got uh, Sean Hannity for the moronic masses. Uh, but there's a whole system in place to sort of um, to, to make sure these conspiracy theories stick. What do you, know? you mean and, by independence when you say you have Tucker Carlson for the independence? Well, I, f- I feel like Tucker Carlson's role at Fox News is to basically make moderate Republicans and independents feel okay uh, about voting for a racist. Got it. Okay. That, that, that's why I see. That's why I see his 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 position at Fox News. He's there to kind of like. He's not there for the masses. He's not there for the um, the MAGA morons. Like he, he, you know, Tucker Carlson wouldn't, you know, Tucker Carlson wouldn't be caught in the same in the same sort of twenty mile radius of of uh, the 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 MAGA moron mob, right? But he is there to convince the sort of you know to convince um, educated white men, independent male independents, and and moderate Republicans that it's actually okay to to vote for Trump. Got it. Yeah, I mean, it's like an all of the above, throw everything at the wall, see what sticks. It's like, you know, Joe Biden is a radical socialist. Joe Biden is in favor of Antifa and looting. Uh, and even though Joe Biden has, I don't know how many times he has to come out and say that he is against looting and arson and rioting and people shouldn't do it. You know, it occurs to me, the next time Biden is asked about riots and looting and if he thinks it's okay, because he's condemned it so many times, it's just not sticking in some people's heads, apparently. Next time he's asked about it, he should just say, don't fucking riot, right? <laughs> Joe, if, right, Joe, right, right. if Joe Biden says that, if he says don't fucking riot, people who don't even follow politics will know about it. Yeah, they'll, they'll right, right, right. right. <laughs> Biden drops F-bomb against rioting in CNN town hall or whatever it is. But that you know what? He, he would, what would happen then? It would be the Greenwalds and the Sirotas would then talk about how he's denigrating the Black Lives Matter movement, how he's, That's fine. You know, he, he's fine. not they, sufficiently woke. And it's, it, it, it's like that thing on, um, on, on fracking, you know, that, that uh, uh, Biden's sort of trying to play the whole both sides thing on fracking where he's saying like i don't want fracking but you know we i'm not going to ban fracking uh, and we need something to transition you know we've got to transition to clean energy but we can't ban fracking you know in the meantime until we've got a replacement right and 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 the 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 leftist mob have been uh, have been attacking biden for for uh, not being pure enough on uh, on on the issue of fracking 
Yeah, you can't. I mean, Biden was is a town hall in Pennsylvania. You can't come out against fracking in Pennsylvania. Uh, you just can't. And oh, no. I, look, we, we can talk about it after the election, but you, you just you, you can't come out and say, uh, yeah, I'm going to basically ban a whole bunch of jobs in this state if you elect me president. That doesn't seem like a winning strategy in a state that you probably really need to become oh, president. I mean, Pennsylvania is, is, is absolutely critical. Like whoever wins Pennsylvania probably is going to win the election. I mean, it looks like Biden's got it. Uh, you know, Biden has it locked down. Although we said that in 2016 and that didn't happen. But, you know, it, the polling is better now in, in a lot of these swing states. One of the reasons why the, 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 the panel I was reading today, today actually about how, why the polling is, 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 is more accurate this time around, in, in, particularly in swing states, like places like Pennsylvania and, and, uh, and Wisconsin, that the polling has got, is likely to be not quite as wildly um, inaccurate, or, or no, you know, it wasn't even that inaccurate in 2016. It just like it, it was at the the outer limit of what was uh, uh, the of the margin of error. But this time around, you know, we know slightly more accurately what's happening. It seems that Biden's doing pretty well in Pennsylvania. The last thing we need right now is for yeah Biden to come out in favour of job losses in Pennsylvania. I, I, I'm quite happy for Biden to say that he's pro-fracking. I'm quite happy for Biden to put on a, you know, to, to spend the day, go and do a photo op in a, you know, go, go and do some fracking himself. <laughs> I, I mean, please listen, do it, right? It's it's kind of like, look, you've got one guy who is saying, you know, that he wants to transition to a green economy um, and, and we can, you know, fracking is a stopgap you know we could stopgap measure we will have some fracking in in the mid while you know while we build out other industries as opposed to the guy who has pulled out the paris climate accords has completely gutted the epa and doesn't believe in global warming uh i think i'm going to choose the you know i think i'm going to choose the strategic politician you know look but yeah biden gave a bullshit answer but he gave exactly the right answer that he should have done right that's exactly what you say if you want to win Pennsylvania and what you want to win the presidential election, but not according to the woke left, you know, who, who demand ideological purity, uh, from Biden and are constantly calling him out for, 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 um, you know, not being, um, uh, ideologically, uh, pure on, on this particular issue. It's, cr- I mean, it's crazy. It's as if, politics doesn't doesn't matter like there's no you know people uh, there's a lot of criticism about biden yeah you know, uh, um uh you know, not coming out in favor of rioting right it's like what do you what do you want him to do he can come out in favor of rioting and and and, and looting right and not and not criticize the rioters and the looters and then lose the election because trump then takes takes control of the the whole law and order um uh sort of agenda that he's been he's been desperately trying to turn the race into in, into a whole law and order um uh, election but he can't do that so why would biden then give it to him in order to appease the the, the woke left it's mad and then you get trump again for another four years and more riots look i hate it that i'm here like saying yes joe biden has to say he doesn't want to ban fracking like i i hate that we're at this point but here we are. Here we are. We've got fascism on the ballot in tw- in 2020. I don't say that lightly. I, I'm not one of these people who throws 
the word fascism around willy nilly. But mm. that's what we got, you know. And if Trump wins another four years or more, who knows? <laughs> We are going to turn into a, a fascistic state. You know, it, it will actually will probably resemble less Nazi Germany and more Putin's Russia. You know, he's going to continue to erode the institutions uh, and, and democratic norms that we have in this country. You know, we're seeing it already. D there is nothing that he won't do to have more power for himself. But you know what? I think we can end this on a good note. Because there's good news. There, there is. I, I think it's good. So today, uh, in a number of states, uh, early in-person voting has begun. One of those states is Virginia, and uh, I saw a tweet this morning, uh, or I saw a report this morning from CNN showing just hundreds of voters lining up in Virginia. I think it's Fairfax, Virginia. And they're in a socially distanced line that goes on for it looks like 200 or 300 yards winding its way through, uh, you know, winding its way beyond the, the polling station. And one voter told uh, this CNN reporter, I don't trust the mail right now. If I got to stand here all day, I'm going to vote today. So. It's nice to see that, you know, people are – there's a long waiting line and early voting, right? Like the election is not for another, you know, 42 days or so, something like that. And yet you have all these people who are – they want to stand in line right now, the earliest they can do it in person, and they want to make their vote count they don't want to go through the post office because they're not trusting Louis DeJoy and his merry band of pranksters over at the post office trying to gum up the works uh, to affect mail-in voting. Uh, these people, they want to make sure their, their voices are heard, that their votes count, and they are willing to stand in line all day if that's what it takes. So very encouraging. Oh, yeah. I mean, and these were not Trump supporters. You know, these these are from what we saw in Virginia. Right. I mean, the heavily Democratic counties, and and not a Trump supporter in sight. You know, so so this is. I mean, look. You know, again, I think I think this just shows the motivation that Democrats have now to to um, to get this this lunatic out of office. You know, I mean, if this if this something to go by that people are willing to risk their health, willing to kind of, you know, brave the elements and and uh, uh, go out and vote in person. I mean. It, Good, good, that that's that's great because this was all supposed to benefit Trump, right? The early voting, um, the early voting and and the voting in person is supposed to heavily benefit Trump, but it doesn't look like that's that that might not necessarily be what's happening, right? And I believe the 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 uh, voter who said that um, was wearing a, a Biden face covering, if I recall yeah. correctly. So yeah, good news, good news, good news. We did it. We did it. Every once in a while, we're able to end the podcast on a high note. I'm all glad this week <laughs> was one of those times. Awesome. Uh, well, if you if, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, uh, please co leave us a comment. Tell us what you what you want us to talk about. Um, we'll, we'll we'll do our best to, uh, uh, to to fit that into the next episode. Um, also, um, if you'd like to get a two month free trial for a band membership, you can do so uh, at the bottom of this email. Um, or in the article if you're reading it online it's a nice red, big red button just press to uh, 60 day free trial and you'll get your free trial for the banter and uh, wear a mask vote 
if you can, if you can vote early, go and vote early. Uh, mail your ballot in, you know, be a responsible citizen and uh, have a good weekend. Bye, everyone.